This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Robert Harare. What an incredible 20-something. Robert is the CEO and co-founder of 1H, the New York-based VC connecting innovative technology companies with investors from around the world based on what they have in common. He sits on the advisory board of Silicon Valley companies alongside Guy Kawasaki and Leonardo DiCaprio. Robert was recently listed as Startup Grind's top 50 millennial founders to watch in 2018. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Robert in New York City and learning of his journey and his story to becoming a 20-something-year-old CEO. Take a listen. Robert, welcome to The Peers Project. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. So, you know, you reached out to us when you you heard about us through NextGen here in the States. Um, And the first thing that struck me about you um, when I read your email was how young you were and how much you've accomplished. Um, So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're 21? 20. 20. 20. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. So before we get into your work, I'm just curious to know how you develop such ambition and determination to just be the best that you can be. And how, you know, and how this has impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Well, um, so that's a big question. It is. Definitely, definitely a cool question to start with. Um, in terms of ambition, I don't know if you can develop ambition. It's something that you just have to want. You just have to have it. You have to say, I mean, it has to be innate to you. You have to go in and say, I'm going to do this. And with everything that you approach, you have to recognize that you're going to see it through. And so I wouldn't uh, call it necessarily just ambition as much as stick to itness, where you just say, no matter what it is I'm going to do, I'm sure I'm going to screw this up a bunch of times along the way, but I'm going to get it done regardless. And I think that that's the, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is, especially, you know, being young in something, you have to recognize you're not an expert with 20 years or 30 years of industry experience. Hell, I just got my first 20 years of life experience. So, you know, I have to recognize that in anything that I enter into, there is going to be one, a learning curve, but two, I'm going to get past it. And so no matter how many times you get punched in the gut along the way, you have to say, at the end of the day, this is going to get done and I'm going to be the person who takes it there. Yeah, wow. How did you develop that, as in like that resilience to you know, getting punched in the gut and then just picking yourself up? I think that it comes with, I think again, it comes down to that idea that 
this is going to get done. And so every punch in the gut, yeah, it'll knock you down in a lot of ways. And there's going to be times when you're, you know, where you're constantly getting hit, especially when you're starting a company. I know like when we started, when we were just getting started, we were formulating the idea at 1H. I mean, just in the idea stage, we were getting punched in the gut at every turn. And, uh, you know, you had people coming down at us for our age. You had people, you know, coming down on us for our ideas even. Um, and, you know, the way that I've always seen it is that while that might strike you off course and make you whittle in one direction or another for a short amount of time, at the end of the day, if you stay focused and you stay to it, it just doesn't even feel like it's even happening at that point. It just feels like another thing you have to face along the way. And if you recognize it as something that you're facing along the way and not something that is your be-all, end-all. So, you know, one punch in the gut is not going to be the thing that destroys your company. But if you let that one punch in the gut keep you down, then, yeah, that is the thing that destroyed your company, but only because you let it happen that way. Yeah, wow. So that's a very developed or, I guess, progressive way to look at things, I think. Um, so you're 20 and to have, you know, that as your outlook is just phenomenal. So talk to me. I know earlier you and I were just discussing your your mum, actually, and her kind of situation at the moment, which is amazing. I'd love for you to you to, to go into a bit about that and then also just talk to us about her influence on you and how she has influenced you throughout your life. Oh yeah, definitely. I could talk about my mom for hours. <laughs> she's, uh, she's, she's one of my biggest role models. Um, so right now my mother is running for New York city council, uh, in district four. Her name's Rebecca Harari. Uh, and unfortunately things are really starting to move forward for her. And, uh, so my mom, before she ran for city council, uh, had started four non-for-profits, including including a school for children with autism, uh, and then another and then another program that helped women who didn't go to college get vocational job training, and then ultimately find careers. Uh, and so she had always been involved in helping people. And one of the biggest things that I had seen from my mom is she just made it look easy. You know, it you, on the other side of things, you know, just being a little bit older, when you're growing up, you know, you see. You know, you see mom doing all these things and it just doesn't even feel like it's it's eating at her or it's, you know, or that it's taking her down because she doesn't let it get to her. You know, she's one of those people who, again, you know, just that laser focus of I'm going to get this done. And I think this is really where I picked up a lot of this from is, you know, she says, I'm going to get this done. Whoever hits me along the way is just a distraction. But at the end of the day, I'm going to get this done. And, you know, she did that when she was starting her school for children with autism. She got the funding together. She got the board together. She got the students in line. And now, you know, fortunately, now they're even expanding. They're building out dormitories for their students now even. And, uh, you know, then you look at Propel Network, which is her organization for women uh, trying to gain vocational job training skills. Um, and even there, they're starting to expand. They're already on, I think, the third graduating class of people. They're... Yeah, each one is each one is now bringing in jobs, bringing in revenue for their families, for their communities, which is exciting. And she's doing a good job. But it's not, you know. And today she made, you know, another big campaign speech, and people think that that's, you know, what a lot of philanthropy looks like is just these big speeches, fundraisers, and events. That's one way to see things. But the other side of my mom is the side that I really pulled the most from, which isn't those big speeches, but it's, you know, when I would come home at two o'clock in the morning and I'd see her with her head in her hands at the kitchen table, you know, wondering how she's going to build out this next thing, her, her next challenge, you know, wondering how she's going to secure the funding for this or wondering how she's going to bring on the talent that she needs to do that. 
Uh, and it was, you know, it's that. It's that sweat in the middle of the night that says, I'm going to get the, that to me is how you know you're going to get it done. And if you're the kind of person who can put in those late hours, you know, and can do it again and again and again and again, even if nobody's thanking you for it, that's the resilience that you need to, to grow. That's the resilience you need to actually build something. Yeah, wow. And so totally pull that from my mom. That's amazing. Wow. Your mother seems like someone who everyone could learn something from. <laughs> so, you know, all the best with her, her campaign because that's just phenomenal. Wow. Oh, man, she's a superwoman. Oh, she seems like one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let's dive a bit deeper into um, Robert the early years. So obviously you had this massive influence and you're only 20. So I, you know, when I look back at what you've done, you started interning at 15, I think it was, or 16, you said that on one of your LinkedIn posts that you, um, yeah, that you, you interned, um, I actually can't find the name of it here, but. Yeah, I started off interning at a, uh, at a small design yes, company. Yes, that's the one. Um, they're actually not, a, they're a fairly large uh, design and accessories company called sure. Concept One. Yeah. I was 15 years old at the time. Mm. Um, that was really cool. I learned a lot there. Um you know, the, uh, there I really learned what it looks like to see an organization of 50, 60 people at work, right? And, you know, what subdivisions look like inside of a company uh, and how things are structured that way and how one thing, how, you know, that you can't just push something on and expect it to be done all in one day, but there's actually a system in place to make sure that things are getting done right. Um, so that was a lesson I learned early on is that it's better to bring on as many people as you need to really take a look at something than it is to just 100% say, I'm going through with this and it's going to look like this and I'm going to get it done by X date and it's going to be launched. The, uh, you know, cause you run the risk of, you run the risk of just making, you run the risk of making mistakes cause you didn't bring outside opinions in. So that was a mistake I learned. I mean, not a mistake. I learned the lesson I learned sure. very quickly was outside opinions are really helpful. And so, you know, even, 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 you know, I was in the small design department, but even in the small design department, there was people that were, you know, I had to run my concepts by my immediate superior who ran things by their immediate superior and each and every single time there were edits, there were changes that made the finished product that much better. And then, yeah. And so I started off, you know, just doing that. But, uh, immediately after that is when I got my first real job. Um, and that's when I started working for my father. Um, at his company, Research Frontiers. My father took a big chance on me. Um, I mean, him and I have always been incredibly close. We've been talking about, uh, I mean, we, we had been talking about technology for years. He runs a tech company. Um, and we had been talking about technology since I was born. I mean, he, uh, and when I was like six years old, he brought home an invention notebook. Have you ever heard of the invention notebook? They're like these, uh, they're really cool. They're like this book, it's got a bunch of graph paper in it. And then behind every piece of graph paper, there's a piece of carbon paper. Um, yeah, so that you can copy down your ideas as you're writing them down. Wow. Yeah, so I was always, you know, I was just always throwing ideas at my dad. Like at five, six years old, there should be this, there should be that. And so he brought wow. home one of those for me to screw around with. I filled out the first book in like a month. Um, and so he brought home another one. Uh, and so I started filling that one out. So I'd always been very into this. And, you know, he'd seen me getting a little bit of experience in marketing and design. And so he gave me a shot and he had, uh, he had me managing their social media uh, early on. So I was managing his company's social media. And that was cool because, you know, it started off as a small role. But, uh, and I want, I want to work hard to prove myself. And I wanted to work hard to, uh, you know, I know I shared a last name with the CEO, but I wanted to make it clear that this was my own contribution to the company that I was making and that this wasn't just, you know, 
talking to my father and having him do what needed to be done. And so I, you know, I, I took hardly any pay for what I was doing and I wanted to make sure that I could focus on impact more than anything. And I did, and we did a good job with that. And we built out a digital marketing strategy. Um, and we, at uh, 16, was that? Uh, yeah, it was at built six. out a digital marketing strategy at 16. This is, wow. Yeah. So we, uh, it was, yeah, the, uh, when it comes, yeah, so I guess, I guess in hindsight, yeah, it feels, uh, it was four years ago now, but, uh, it feels like it feels like a while ago. The um, again, when it comes down to it, you just do it. You know, I I never thought about you know when I think about age. You know, I'm I might be twenty, but I I don't know what it means to just be twenty in the room because I've never just been twenty in the room or just been seventeen in the room. I'd always been running this and that. You know, running this organization or you know at the time I was directing social media. I wasn't sixteen. I was the director of social media. Right, and so I was managing that. And so whatever that included uh, was what went into my day. And so I didn't let, I wouldn't let, I, it's not that I even wouldn't let my age as if it was a conscious effort. It was more, you know, it, it was off the radar. My age did, didn't matter to me. It was the project I had in front of me. Wow. Okay. So if, sorry, just taking a moment to take all this in. So if your age didn't matter to you, being a 16 year old running, running the social media, did you, did other people's perceptions of you as a 16-year-old running social, running, you know, directing your social media, did that affect you? Because I imagine, you know, other people in the company, um, at your dad's company, would have may have been a bit like, wow, you know, this is a bit, maybe a little bit strange. <laughs> um, you know, if I was at my dad's company and I saw a 16-year-old running his social media, I would, I would literally put him at, like, you know, give him a pat on the back, but at the same time, wonder what was going on. You also probably yeah, you'll ask a couple questions. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, the CEO just hired his 16-year-old yeah. kid. <laughs> like, what so, happened there? And by the way, you know, you're not even the first person to be thinking about that. I mean, I remember when I was just hired, if you saw, like, the forums, because there's a public company, there's all sorts of forums where they talk about it. It says, I hope Joe's paying this kid out of his own pocket because there's no way that this is coming out of my investor dollars. Mm. And things like that. And it was just like, yeah. you know, the people were really almost livid at the fact that there was this young kid yeah. at this. But again, to me, it wasn't like, all right, I'm, it wasn't I'm 16 years old. It was they have no social media presence. I could help build value here. And this is something that I immediately can build value in. It's something that no one else in the company fully understands yet. Uh, and so that actually would be my best lesson there would be, you know, put your age aside and figure out where it is that you could add value and what makes you indispensable. Uh, and so, you know, my early knowledge of marketing, of social media marketing and design actually really helped me in that capacity. Uh, and I was able to, you know, add value there. And so, you know, we executed on it and we did a good job uh, on our social media. We built out a digital marketing strategy for it across several different platforms. We executed on it. Um, before we knew it, we had two ads in Times Square that were even just expanding on what we were doing. Um, and... You know, so we, we really took it as far as we could because we said we're just going to do this right. Um, and so age, again, never mattered because it was all about the execution. But I think the biggest thing there also was the risk that my father took. You know, I'm, I'm not going to just go ahead and say this all happened because I'm an amazing 16-year-old. At the end of the day, this person who was, you know, in early on in his 50s at the time had to recognize that he was going to hire someone who was a third of his age to execute on this. And that he had to make the case as CEO for why he was doing this. And that was, you know, in a lot of ways, his own battle, which I actually never spoke to him about because, you know, he put so much faith in me. But it came from, you know, there was very much that older person in the room who said, I'm going to take the chance on this person. And I think that that's just as val uh, just as amicable, just as respectable as, 
you know, working hard at a young age is being able to trust people younger than you. Wow. That is, that is a really good lesson. Wow. I've never thought about that. I want to go into that, um, those ads that you had on Times Square. So just to yeah. give everyone listening a bit of context, we're currently in my hotel room and it's on Times Square. And actually our breakfast room um, faces out onto the main billboards of Times Square. So right now, even in from my window, you can see the billboards. Hold on, let me look out the window one sec. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yes. And so it's actually incredible to think that, you know, you were able to, you know, you were able to create something that was advertised here. You know, when you look out, you've got the biggest, you know, your household names. Um, and obviously their marketers are people who are the best in the game. So I guess my next question would be to you, it would be, what, did you feel any pressure to kind of perform and, you know, when you were preparing these ads for Times Square, knowing that you're up against some of the biggest names in the game and some of the best marketers in the game, how was that experience like for you? So for one, I just looked out the window, it was, I'd say it was like, I think two blocks down uh, south and then three blocks west or two blocks or two avenues west. It was wow. like right front in the center, middle of Times Square, you know, like right where the tickets, um, the ticket staircases, that that oh, red staircase yeah. area. Oh, yeah. So we were right in the center of that. Wow. Um, so right in that area, one of the billboards right there. the um, One of the billboards in that area. Um, and yeah, I remember, you know, when I was, the only thing I was going through my head when I was doing that was I better make a damn good ad. I better, <laughs> I mean, I better, <laughs> think I'm so. in Times Square. Um, <laughs> I remember, you know, when the ad was launched um, and we were looking up in Times Square and I'm looking up at the ad, and there's my ad that I put together on my laptop in my bedroom. And then to the left of me is an ad for Snapchat. To the right of me is an ad for Express. And then um, I think even Apple had an ad at the time in Times Square. I remember just looking around. And at first, I was like, you know, I'm competing with all these people. How is anyone mm, looking at me? Correct. But then I realized I'm not just competing with them. I'm right next to them. Mm. I'm sharing space with them. I'm here with them. That in itself... Uh, just adds a lot of value to whatever it is that I'm producing. So having just those ads next to us, right, from, you know, the end viewer's perspective, right, from the consumer, from the, per from the tourist that's walking in Times Square, they're not saying, what is this company? You know, who cares about this company? They're saying, this company must be amazing. Look who they're next to. Uh, and so just having that halo effect from other, uh, just from other brands and other marketing campaigns was really helpful. Uh, and so that eased a lot of the pressure for me also was just, you know, at the end of the day, we are next to these brands. And so the ad that we're putting together is going to do exceptionally better than it would have otherwise, just because of that. Yeah. I think that is a, just a phenomenal way to think about things. Even if you think about your peers next to you. So all of our peers out there listening, you know, if one person's doing one thing and, you know, you're, you're sitting next to them, but you think, oh no, you know, I'm, I'm actually not doing what they're doing. The way you think of it is literally, well, I'm sitting next to them. Right. So, and that, that's incredible to have that mindset is. And by the way, that, you know, that expands ever, that expands mm. past age too. I mean, you know, when people could go ahead and say, you know, you're young or 20 years old or, you know, you're 18 years old or you're 22 years old. What do you know? You know, you're just a millennial. It's like, yeah, you're right. I'm just a millennial. So is Mark Zuckerberg. You know, so is Evan Spiegel, right? There's plenty of millennials that have already proved their worth who are already worth more than the generation before them and have already contributed a lot to the world in that sense. And so in a lot of ways, those are your peers. 
And so that again comes back to you know who your peers are. In Times Square, it was Apple, it was Snapchat, it was Express, right? Generationally, it's Mark Zuckerberg, it's Evan Spiegel, it's people like that who showed us that you can do whatever it is that you you can build something like this at a young age, which I think was really, which I think is some really good lesson going in. Oh, for sure. Wow. Okay, so I want to progress um, to talk a bit about when you were 18, I think it was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the managing director of a, a venture corporation. Um, and just when I read that, you know, first thing that came to my head was you're 18. Once again, it comes back to the age, there's a major theme going on here, but it, it is phenomenal. And I want to talk about it. So, you know, how did you make that happen? How did you head up, you know, a venture corporation? It's amazing. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> that was, a, that was actually a cool, that was a cool, that was a fun time. The, uh, so when I was working for my father, um, I was in high school and, uh, I was a senior in high school. I, I was on my second year working for my father. I was a senior in high school and uh i left i i had a conference call so i cut class and uh and so i'm i'm in i'm in the hallway on this conference call and as i'm on the call my uh my principal walks in and sees me clearly outside of class clearly using my phone clearly on a call all three of those things were not allowed in my school he's just like you are suspended and I was like, no, I'm not. Wow. Um, so we negotiated me down to uh, three detentions. Um, and so I had three detentions and I just, I wasn't going to let that slow me down. So in, <laughs> so in my detention, I, I whooped down my computer and I just started just like looking around at different things in our industry. Originally, you know, in the scope of what my father was doing in the smart glass industry. And that eventually, you know, had me thinking about connected home. Right, because uh, the way that I saw it is, I saw a lot of value for my father's technology in new homes, uh, and in modern homes, and in smart homes. Uh, and so we had come across a connected home company. Well, I had come across this connected home company while I was on while I was in detention, uh, and so I started looking into these guys uh, just on their just on my computer, and I was like, "This is this is really interesting." Um, but that was the extent of it, right? But then my father, I was speaking to my father. I said, yeah, I want to get involved in this company. They're a startup. They're tiny, but I want to be involved in them. I want to help them. Um, you know, they weren't tiny. They already raised a good amount of capital as it was. And so they were already pretty far along. You know, they had already launched their product. They already had major distribution partners. Um, they already had all sorts of intellectual property on their technology. And so I wanted to be involved. I just didn't think that I was able to. Uh, you know, when I came to my father and I told him, I was like, you know, I'm 18 years old. I don't think I can do any, <laughs> anything for these guys. And, he, and so what he said is, I have an idea. And so he said, start talking to people just about what you're doing. And so I started talking to people and I said that I wanted to start a venture group, right? an angel group of different investors. Um, and originally I got the same backlash that I was expecting, which was, you know, you're 18 years old. I don't, you've never done anything like this, right? I don't know if I want to be involved in this. And that was really discouraging. And then my father said, talk to that company again. So I spoke to the company again and I said, I run an angel group. I just, I just went for it. Wow. I just said, I run an angel group. Uh, we want to invest. An angel group, by the way, is just a collection of different angel investors who invest smaller amounts of capital, but put together are making up some pretty sizable investments. You know, so you collect a bunch of different checks of, you know, instead of collecting a $2 million check, you collect, you know, $20,000, $100,000 checks or something like that. And you use that and you 
you know, as a whole, your group has some kind of sizable investment in the company. So it's either an informal agreement or a formal arrangement or something, right? Um, and so I told them, I'm managing Andrew Group, and we want to have a conversation about getting involved. So we jump on a call, uh, and I, sp- I speak to the CEO, and I'm really interested in them. And so they're interested in what we're doing. Um, yeah, <laughs> what, what I told them we were doing. <laughs> and um, then after that, I instead of trying to put together an angel group without a deal, I took my father's advice. I said, don't forget the 18-year-old part. I have a deal on the table. What do you think of this company? And so instead wow. of going around saying, you know, I run Glassworks Ventures, we're trying to build an Andrew group, it was, you know, hey, take a look at this company. We're raising capital for this company right now, and we want to get you involved. Exactly. And so we came in with this deal on the table. And so now it was, you know, instead of speculating about what I can do, let me show you today. This is what we have on the table. Don't invest in me, invest in them. All right. And so that was the, you know, the first thing that we went and raised on. And we raised with a deal in hand, uh, and we collected you know, investors for the group with a deal in hand. Uh, and again, it just came down to saying, I'm going to do it. At the end of the day, this is what an angel group is supposed to be doing anyway, so I may as well start now. And so that's what we did. Wow. So I think there's two questions that come out of that. Yeah. The first one is the confidence and self-belief to go up to someone, to go up to a company and say, you know, I want to be on board. I want to raise funds for you. How do you get that? And the second one is that idea of being someone before you're actually that person. And, you know, was it just your dad who taught, like, do you still believe in that? How, you know, what would you say in terms of that? So it wasn't just my father. It was, it was my mother and my father who really both pushed me equally on this. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I think the biggest thing for them, or for me at least, was this faith that I had and that support base that I had in my parents. Um, and then eventually, you know, not eventually, almost right away, my brother, right, my older brother, who, uh, you know, him and I hang out together, you know, twice a week and we just both talk about work. Um, and it's not, you know, in the, oh, it's so cute, look what you're doing. It's, you know, okay, cool. Like, these are two businesses now that, you know, we're, we're building. Um, and so it's, and so having that kind of level of respect just for my parents and that faith from my parents and then ultimately my brother and all of my sisters right away, uh, really helped me, um, and really made me feel like I can do this. Um, and yeah, so again, it just came down to that respect. And so it wasn't, oh, look how cute you're starting this. Look at all the experience you're going to gain or blah, blah, blah. It was, all right, if you're going to take this if you're going to see this through, um, and if you're not going to care about your age, we're not going to care about your age. At the end of the day, you know, I'm in a highly regulated industry, right? I'm in VC, I'm in finance. It's one of the most, and I'm, you know, I'm in angel finance where I'm dealing with individual capital, individual people's money. That's one of the most highly regulated industries in the world. That will not care about the fact that I'm 20 years old. Regulation doesn't care if you're in the middle of college. Regulation doesn't care, you know, if you have a test the next day. Regulation does not care about that. At the end of the day, you are following the same rules as someone who's been in the industry for 50 years, and you have to remember that, and you have to recognize that. Uh, and so it just comes into, again, saying like, this is the task at hand, this is the beast that we're gonna be tackling, how do we tackle it? And put age aside, because that's n- all that's gonna do is defeat you internally. And if you go in, if you go in with that defeatist attitude, you're gonna lose. Um, and so you have to just check it out the door. It would be my best advice there for young entrepreneurs, check it out the door. 
And if you check it out the door and you expect others to do the same, they will. And they'll treat you with the respect that you need as, you know, as a young person. And they won't even be thinking about your age. And if they do, it'll only be something that impresses and nothing else. Um, and so it really comes down to that. It's just, you know, check any defeatist attitude out the door. Wow. So talk to me about your business partner. I saw that you're a co-founder. Mm-hmm. Is he the same? Is he 20 and has the same attitude? Talk to me about him. Uh, so my co-founder, Data, she's, uh, she's amazing. Oh, he's, she, sorry. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she's, uh, so she's actually a friend of my brother's. Uh, they've been friends in college. Uh, and I had met Data when I was 17 years old. Um, we were hanging out by my older brother, actually. Because me and my brother, uh, when we were younger, had like this you know, small idea for a startup that we had been working on together. And Data at the time was starting her startup. Um, and you know, was raising money for her company and was building out her platform and gearing up for launch. And so we took a lot of advice from Data just on that. Um, you know, Maurice ended up getting a promotion at his, at his job at the time. I ended up wanting to go into my angel group, so we ended up not going through with our startup idea. But we, you know, I had still met Data just that one time in passing. Um, after my experience in uh, VC, I wanted to expand what we were doing a little bit. We had this one problem where one of our investors hated the, pro- the, uh, the process of actually signing their subscription documents when they were investing in the company, going to their bank and putting the bank account information. They were older, so they didn't want to have to input the exact, say, the exact you know, wire transfer number and bank account number because, God forbid, you get that wrong. The money leaves your account. It does not come back. And so what he did was he took all the documents, printed them out, put them in a FedEx envelope, and shipped them across the country. Wow. Uh, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> that shouldn't happen. Um, and he kind of did that without asking us. Um, so he just told us after the fact. And then the day that the check was supposed to come, it didn't. The package never showed up. And so now me and the founder of this company that we were getting involved with are just freaking out. And how am I supposed to tell this investor we cannot find your capital? And, you know, how am I supposed to tell this startup we can't find your capital, right? It was, it was, it was too, it was, it was, it was nerve wracking. Fortunately, 24 hours later, the check arrived. Yeah. And after my, after my sigh of relief, I was like, this can't happen again. And so I said, I'm just going to bring this online. I was going to at least take this process of closing things and bring it online. Data after her startup went on to work at a development shop. Um, she was in business development at an app development firm. And, uh, and so originally I posted just on Facebook, Hey, you know, does anyone know any developers? And Data had Facebook messaged me, you know, hey, I work at this dev shop. Um, you know, let me hear a little bit about what you're doing. Maybe we could do something. So I sat down with her after two meetings. She called her boss, quit, and we said we're going to build this together. Wow. And from there, I mean, we built out, you know, this idea of just a transaction portal to close investments into what we're you know, what we're doing now, which is using an immense amount of data that we collect on investors uh, to help them find investments more relevant to them. And so in building that all into one big online platform was something that Data and I have been doing together. And that's what Data brought to this. Right? I, had, I had my experience in VC. I had my experience as the investor in the room. Data has her experience with platforms. Data has her experience with development. She has an idea of what that looks like on a day-to-day. I never saw what that looked like on a day-to-day. I was always on the other side of the table. Come to me post-product. Come to me post-raising capital. Come to me you know, come to me when you're ready to raise follow-on capital with a product in hand, with a client lined up, you know, with major distribution on the table so that you know, we can augment what you're doing. I've never been there from the very beginning like she had. 
Uh, and so she and I have been building this out into, you know, into what 1H is starting to become, which is really exciting. Um, and so she's an absolute genius, uh, when, you know, in that respect, in many respects, but in that respect, among others. Um, and I trust every, I trust what she says, you know, with my life. She's, uh, and she's really, really, uh, she's really personable. And that really helps when we're building out the team. And she brings, she knows where to find talent. And she's really good at bringing on talent, um, engaging with people in a way that's meaningful and, uh, you know, really rallies the troops on a day to day which is very important. You know, it's easy to get wrapped up in strategy. It's because, you know, I'm in the head where it's easy to strategize and it's easy to think about things. When it comes down to execution, that's where you really need the team. And Data is, you know, she's queen of that. She's really good at that. She, uh, she rides the troops on a day-to-day. They come to her for advice. You know, they come to her when they have a problem with somebody and she's really good with it. And she could execute really well in that respect. Uh, and so that's, you know, one of the reasons I'm happy as hell to have Data on my team with me, building this with me. Yeah, wow. Geez, your collaboration, there's, there's, there's no wonder that you've created something amazing. Talk to us about the early challenges you faced going into it. You mentioned earlier, you know, you had to keep pushing, you know, getting through them. But what were some examples of the early challenges you faced? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so a few things. For one, you know, it comes back to recognizing your age. Um, again, I don't have 20 years of experience in this. You know, so what we did is we brought on a CFO who does. And, wow. Yeah. And so we brought on a CFO who's been working in the industry since before I was born. But again, it comes down to he had to believe in me just as much as I had to believe in myself. He had to say, okay, I'm going to go through with this 20 year old kid, 19 years old when we met. I'm going to go through with this 19 year old kid. We actually met on my 19th birthday. I'm going to go through. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go through with this 19 year old kid. I'm going to build this with him because I think that what he's doing is the next step in what we're bu- in, in where our industry is heading. Uh, and so having, you know, that kind of experience really helps me because now I could say, okay, if there's something that I haven't learned directly, you know, I know I could count on Phil to understand that. Right. And I, I know I could count on Phil to tell me some of his war stories surrounding that. Um, you know, the punches in the gut that I would describe just in my, in my immediate industry, in the angel investment industry, um, would probably surround just investments. I mean, sometimes investments don't go through. Um, you know, sometimes we really believe in a company. We try to share it with our network. And, you know, we had this one company that I really believed in. Um, and we pitched it to the network. And they didn't go for it. And I was really disappointed because I'd spent a few months, you know, really doing my due diligence on this company. I was like, this is a good investment opportunity. Um, you know, and that was one of the, you know, that was one of the first few companies I'd raised for. So we had already done a couple of successful deals before then. So I knew that my investors were investing with us, but I was curious as to why they weren't investing in this deal. And so I spoke to each investor, you know, the same investors that had invested in deals before this new company. Um, so my first investment, I was in a connected home company based out of San Francisco. The first investors that we got for that company loved it. They invested. Then afterwards they got the product and they put it in their homes. Right. They were, you know, they're investment bankers in real estate uh, and people in real estate from here in New York, L.A., parts of Europe who had all invested. Um, you know, so people living in apartments, people living, you know, luxury apartments, but people living in, you know, apartments nonetheless because they're in cities. The next company that we had pitched to them was another connected home company. So right in their space. But this connected home company was going to help people who lived in suburbs more. And when I had spoken to my investors about this, the first thing that each one had said was, we didn't invest because I, I mean, I, can't ju- I just can't imagine myself using this, right? 
I use the other company's technology every single day. I have the app on my phone. I have this all over my house. But this new company, I can't see myself using this. Right? This is just I live in an apartment. I don't have central air, so I don't need a, you know, I don't need, you know, this piece of technology that helps me out in that end. Uh, and so that really resonated with me because now is, you know, okay, got it. Like these are, these are very much individuals, as well. And so that was the big lesson I learned about angel investors at the time is that these are individuals who are investing and making their decisions based you know, on themselves, based on you know, what they do at work, so that what they're knowledgeable about, you know, what cities they're even living in, where they want to be investing around that, um, just what industries they generally, they generally want to be able to understand better. Um, but most importantly, it came down to, can I be using this myself? Can I envision myself with this? Angel investors are some of the best customers, I'd say. Uh, and I think that that's really, so I think that's something that's really important because, you know, I take a look at this one company actually that we are considering investing in. Um, and I was looking at the investment opportunity. Um, and it seemed like a really compelling investment opportunity. Uh, but something just felt not complete yet. My brother happened to be moving into a new home. And so this company that we were looking at happened to be in the interior design space. And so I figured, okay, my brother's looking for an interior designer. They're the interior design space. I'm just going to connect them over email. My brother's not a VC. And my brother's not an angel investor. He thinks like a consumer. He's not thinking about liquidity options. He's not thinking about what the next round of financing looks like. He's thinking about what his home's going to look like. So I connected the two. And I just, I just saw how my brother experienced, what my brother's experience was with these people as a customer. And I saw the difference. And I saw, okay, wow, this is really an interesting company. And so now, you know, now we're, I think we're going to move, you know, we are going to move forward with them because we, we see, you know, we see something exciting coming from them. We see that they treat their customers well. And I know now as an investor and as a customer, I would be really satisfied with these guys. So I know that this is going to resonate with my angel investors who are investors slash customers. They're not just looking at investment opportunity. They're not looking at the next round of financing. They're looking at, does this fit into my life? Is this something that I could see in my home? Is this something that I want to talk to my friends about? Will they get it? You know, is this a conversation topic? I think that that's also really compelling to them. Yeah, wow. Definitely something that me personally, I did not think about that in terms of investors. Didn't even know that was a factor. So that, that is really interesting. And that was only a lesson that we could have learned when we saw that one deal didn't go through as compared to another. Sure. And the deals were almost identical. Same terms, mm. same valuation, almost identical valuation. In fact, the other deal had slightly better investor terms. So that's why I was even especially interested. I was like, well, what are you talking about? Look at this investment opportunity. But then we saw they're also customers. They're thinking like customers. And that really helped in our, you know, in our next investment decisions. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I think, I think I want to progress. Um, just, this has all been so mind blowing. <laughs> I'm just, um, you know, obviously conscious of time and whatnot, but I think I'd love to progress to, um, just, I guess my second last question. So I think I just want to take a moment to just acknowledge you and the awesome work you've done and that you're doing. It it really is phenomenal to listen to and I could literally sit here all day and keep listening and chatting, chatting away. But I think my question to you would be is, my question to you would be, what does it feel like to be a young entrepreneur just every day, day to day, and knowing that you're making such an impact on the world at your very young age, at your very young age, what what is that like? What does that feel like for you? So I'm so we we met through Next Gen. Um, 
I had I had gone to Next Gen recently, you know, when I went to the Next Gen Summit this year, and I'd always thought like, yeah, I'm this young entrepreneur. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm young. I'm new to this, and I look around and I'm sitting down with this this one kid who's brought in millions of dollars worth of revenue for his company. Eventually, I ask him, you know, how old are you? He goes, Oh, I'm applying to college next year. Like you're applying to college <laughs> next year. How old? Are you? He's like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm turning 17 in a month. I'm like, Oh my oh god. My god. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> but <laughs> so for the first time I, I felt like the old guy in the yeah. room, uh, it was, it was crazy. But I guess it, it, this kid was thinking the exact same way, which yeah. is just, I'm not 17. I'm building a company. That's what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm not just a 16 year old entrepreneur or 17 year old entrepreneur. I'm selling what I'm selling online and I'm bringing in this revenue. That is my focus. Um, and so what it comes down to to feel like a young entrepreneur, I mean, I've only lived the amount of life that I've lived, right? So I don't know what it feels like to have 40 years of life experience under my belt, right? And I think that that's a little bit of this, you know, a little bit of the distinction is, you know, 40-year-olds or, you know, 50-year-olds, 6-year-olds who are, you know, a little bit older in the industry will look at someone who's 20 years old and think that they're just these wide-eyed people who are naive and haven't experienced life and haven't been punched in the gut enough times to really understand things and to really have that experience, right? But on the same note, I can only, you know, I can only work off the experience that I've had, but I'm also, you also have to be open to learning. Um, so I've, you know, one, had my own fair share of war stories, you know, just saying I'm going to compete in this industry, just saying I'm going to make a name for myself in this industry. But on the same note, you know, I have to recognize that I'm also new to this. And so I always invite advice because I'm not a know-it-all. I don't know everything yet. How the hell am I supposed to know everything yet? I'm only 20 years old, right? I'm brand new to this. I'm 10 years away from my 30th, right? And, you know, you hear people talk about 30 years old like they're young. To me, that's literally, you know, that's another 50% of my life that I just haven't lived yet. Um, so... I try to bring on as much experience around me as I can. I'm still the youngest person in my company. Um, you know, so I've, you know, my head of sales is older than me. My head of strategy is older than me. My co-founders are older than me. My CFOs are earlier. I mean, older than me. Um, and so, you know, and we're actually in the middle of talking to a new head of audience development who's, you know, also older than us. The, uh, I try to bring on as much experience like that as I can. And uh, it's all about building that healthy combination. So having young people there who are wide-eyed enough to say, I can make a difference, who are ready to say, you know, this is where things are moving. I'm young enough to, you know, I'm young enough to say that I, I can be the person to execute on this. But you also need the experience in the room to say, well, this is how it's been done traditionally for years. And so if you're going to be changing things, you have to know what this looks like. And so you have to know behavior to change behavior. Uh, and so having that Balance is, I think, the key if you're trying to build something at a young age. But what it feels like doesn't feel any different because I don't know what it feels like to be a 40-year-old entrepreneur. Right? I only know as far as I've gone. And, uh, I mean, so far it feels great. It doesn't feel great because I'm 20. It feels great because I love what I'm doing. And so I think that's the best advice I could give is just put your age aside. Check it out the door. Wow. So, I, I mean, look... This has been incredibly insightful and so thought provoking as I thought it would be, as I knew it would be. Um, so I want to finish with one last, last question, which really ties into your last words you just said. And this is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? What is the value of pursuing what I'm most passionate about? Can I just take one second? I don't want to be 
40 years old and a really wealthy middle manager. That's not what I'm interested in doing. I'm sure I could afford a really nice house. How I could probably afford a second nice house. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting there making a bunch of money for someone who may not even know my name. This isn't mine. And while you know I've added value to this direct thing, to this one direct company, it's not, th- it's not what I was born for. It's not what I was set out to do. Whereas when you're starting something, when you're building something yourself, that came from no one else but you. That came from inside of you. That was your thought bubble. That was, that was your thought, baby. That was something that you said you were going to build. Uh, and so regardless of whether or not your company succeeds or fails, you get to go into it without the what if. You, you, know, you don't look back at the, you know, at the 20-year-old entrepreneur, the 25-year-old entrepreneur saying, damn, I wish I did that. Because you already did. You gave it your all. What you could say is, damn, you know, I wish it worked out, or damn, I wish I did this over this, right, when I was doing what I was doing. But at the end of the day, you get to say you did it. Um, and so I want to at least be able to say that I did it, and that I gave it everything that I had, and I gave, I, I threw myself completely into every opportunity that was afforded to me. Because uh, if I'm not saying that, then if I'm not doing that, then what was I doing with my opportunity? And then it was wasted. Now, I'm young enough to know that I can make an impact in this industry. On the same note, I have a bit of experience behind me in the industry where I know what some of the pain points are. So if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me. And I think that if you have that mindset going into things, there's nothing that's going to be able to hold you back. And it's going to make everything you do infinitely more worth it. Wow. This has been just incredible. I just, I really want to thank you for taking the time to Absolutely. to sit down with us. Um, where can people learn more about you, your company, and your work? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I want to answer a little bit about what we're doing is uh, we're building a platform that connects startups with investors from around the world based on what they have in common. And so uh, with our genius CTO and the rest of our team, uh, we're building out this collection of different matching machine learning algorithms that are analyzing every single deal that comes our way and every single investor that joins our network to automatically connect deals with the right investors and to bring on the right partners for companies. So if you're a company raising capital, go online right now, go to oneh.com, O-N-E-H dot com. We actually just launched applications to raise capital on our site, which has been really exciting and we're already getting new companies rolling in every single day. Um, And so if you're a company looking to raise capital, definitely, you know, Sign up by one h.com. On top of that, we're launching briefs uh, in the next couple of weeks. Briefs are uh, the first step towards the larger goal at one h. Uh, briefs are these short public snapshots of your company that quickly outline your business model, the market that you're in, the problem and solution that you're providing, uh, some information on your team, and then some key information on your traction. Basically, all the information that an investor or a partner would need to say, I'm interested in learning more. I want to get involved with these people. I want to communicate with these people. And so go on to 1H, fill out a brief. I'm incredibly excited about them. Um, And, you know, just reach out to us. We're still, you know, as much as we're investors and as much as that's how we think, we're also starting our own business together. And so we're all really in this together. Reach out to us. We're a small team. I guarantee we'll respond. Um, You know, we're always happy to offer any advice that we can. So just reach out to us through the site, over email, whatever it be. But yeah. Perfect. Great. And for Thanks so much again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For everybody listening, we'll end with that. 
peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>